Welcome to We Fight For That from the Public Interest Advocacy Centre. My name is John Lawford and I'm the Executive Director and General Counsel at PIAC. If you want lower cell phone bills, if you want a refund from a flight you couldn't take, or if you want to be treated better by your bank, we fight for that. Time for another round of consumer protection. Welcome to episode 21 of We Fight For That. In today's podcast, we're going to do it in two parts. And the first part, uh, one, which is this episode, uh, will be uh, just myself, John Lawford, uh, Executive Director and General Counsel at the Public Interest Advocacy Centre, laying out what we hope is some new ideas, new thinking to get us through the logjam that is developed uh, and all the yelling and recriminations in Parliament over Bill C-11 or the amendments to the Broadcasting Act. And we have already discussed that issue with Monica Hour on this podcast a couple times. And then in part two, we will have a, a special guest to give a fresh perspective, I think, on the issue from the new creator side. I can get that nailed down in the next uh, week or so. So it shouldn't be too long until part two, but we wanted to in particular outline the, what we thought was innovative idea that the Public Interest Advocacy Centre brought before the Canadian Heritage Committee at the House of Commons last week. Specifically, if you want to look it up for fun, it was June 1st and we were one of nine witnesses at that time. And our remarks were delivered, but unfortunately quite obscured because uh, some people may have seen in the news that some YouTubers stole the show and actually got all of the questions from the Conservative members who were asking uh, questions critical of the bill and were not really asked questions by the governing party except to the extent that they were trying to snipe over whether um, the goals of Canadian content and the support of, in particular, um, Francophone creators were being respected by the attitude being displayed by some of the uh, new, newer media producers, in other words, the online content generator people uh, who largely have YouTube shows. So I'm going to, in effect, deliver the message that I delivered to Parliament to you, our audience, our great idea on how to get out of this conundrum and then hopefully have a reaction from uh, the user-generated user content crowd, and hopefully it'll spark some debate prior to this bill going to the next stage. Yesterday, I believe, which was uh, June the 8th, the committee uh, studying this finally moved it forward procedurally, and they are going to have what they call clause-by-clause clause consideration of all the elements of the bill starting on June uh, 14th, which will make it through Parliament and be sent to third reading and then over to the Senate, which is the second step for approving legislation, probably right down to the wire, because uh, my understanding is that the House of Commons sits until the 23rd of June, and the Senate sits about a week longer. And um, there will have to be a tight coordination between the House of Commons sending over a bill probably not on June 14th, but later in that week, and the Senate being able to fit it into their things to do today before they rise, I believe, on the 29th or the 30th of June, which is just before Canada Day. And believe me, Parliament doesn't work after Canada Day. So uh, here we go. I'm going to, uh, to uh, launch right in as if you were the audience, and you can hear the same thing again, as I said, on the parliamentary uh, uh, channel. But 
we wanted to uh, initially bring to the to the discussion the viewpoint of consumers or viewers of broadcasting in Canada because the government is trying to, as you may have heard, seek additional monies from YouTube and Netflix, Disney Plus, Apple Plus, all of these over the top, they call them services where you can get broadcasting delivered in effect on your internet connection or in a smart app on on your television or phone, but basically using the internet rather than the um, broadcasting distribution cable or IPTV um, service that Bell or Rogers or Shaw or whoever sells to you right now. So all those services have flooded the market, as you probably know, and um, they are not at the moment required to put money into funds to produce Canadian content, whatever that is, and we'll get to that. But they will be soon. And Bill C-11 is uh, meant to fill that gap so that Netflix and and, and YouTube and, and all the others um, that do in effect, broadcast programs to Canadians have to put some money into the present funding of Canadian content and maybe some other new funds, uh, or at least do some other steps to support the Canadian broadcasting system because the Broadcasting Act treats all broadcasting in Canada as a system and the delivery of the system is measured by a section in the Broadcasting Act, which I might refer to Section 3. So it has all of the goals of what we want to do with broadcasting in Canada. So the way I started my remarks to the committee was first to say, hey, we're here. I haven't heard from any consumers or, or viewers yet. All you've been hearing from are producers, platforms, and creators. And guess who's missing? Ooh, how about the people who watch it? And more importantly, how about the people who pay for all of this? And the point I tried to make was in 1991, when the Broadcasting Act was last changed, a lot of people got their television, which is what it was at the time, largely for, for entertainment. They got television over the air. Some people had cable TV, some people had satellite TV, but a large portion of Canadians, in effect, were not paying out of pocket to watch content or broadcasting, whatever you want to call it. It was ad supported. So you would face your aerial the right way and stand on one foot and maybe you could get four or five stations and you would have to put up with eight or 10 minutes of ads in a half hour, but you could watch your shows free. Fast forward to today, almost no one gets their television over the air. It's a great way if you want to save money to try and you can still get digital signals if you're in town now, but if you're the farther out, chances are you don't get much coverage, maybe one station. So most people don't use over the air now, they pay for it. And I really wanted to underline that people are paying either money through a traditional broadcaster like IPTV or cable TV, or they're paying for their internet connection and their over the top subscription, largely, to things like Netflix or Amazon Prime. And for those services that are not charging you, so if you're using the free version of YouTube or if you're using ad-supported other platforms um, on the internet, they still gather so much personal information on you that you are in effect paying with your privacy. You're paying with your personal data uh, because they then track you across your other movements on the internet and sell targeted ads. So. Consumers are now paying a lot more money and they're also paying in private information. 
and no one seems to be listening to the voice. So our opinion matters. I saw all the MPs listening to me, but I'm not sure that they took notes. So I want to make sure you know, and maybe if you're speaking to your MP, you can get this point of view across because you're probably a listener or a viewer. So what did we say? We said, well, we understand what the government is trying to do with putting some money from over-the-top providers into the Canadian content production system so we don't see exclusively foreign programming. But uh, the implication so far seems to be that somehow all the audience out there hates Canadian content or thinks it's no longer necessary in our society. And we actually have data at PIAC showing that that's not true. Canadians generally quite overwhelmingly support the idea of Canadian content. They even are willing to pay a small amount to support Canadian creators and Canadian content. They think it's important to have different languages, English, French, Indigenous, represented in the content, and they want to continue that. Now, our data comes from a survey we did about five years ago, but in other surveys that we did not perform, we saw a similar type of result. So we think, to this day, consumers like the idea of Canadian content. They want it to be produced. They know it's valuable to the system. They'll even pay a little bit of money for it, but there's limits. So the idea that the large platforms have to put some money into the Canadian content pot is probably not offensive to most Canadians. And if the bill, C-11, stopped there, we would be fine. Unfortunately, we've had rather the opposite. We've had a conversation that's gotten quite nasty between the ruling party, the Minister of Heritage, Pablo Rodriguez, and largely YouTube creators, some independent media. And the argument goes something like, the CRTC is going to be given the power under this bill to determine what is Canadian content. They will have the power under this bill to, in effect, ask the platforms, that's YouTube or TikTok, to insert into Canadians' streams what it is that they're going to see. So if you have a particular flow on your uh, YouTube page where you're likely to get a certain kind of content, you might notice that you get an automatic play of a Canadian song or a Canadian show. You might have uh, in other parts of the YouTube page um, links and suggested uh, content, which is not stuff you usually see because it's Canadian content and um, you may not have uh, expressed an interest in the, the content or what what's coming up. And that has been styled in various ways, notably by uh, the Conservative Party as a uh, perhaps um, interference with your freedom of expression and what you're seeing is being dictated by the government on a platform where Canadians are used to not having any con you know, present government control. And by the content community, the folks that make, uh, if, if you will, content direct to consumer through YouTube. In other words, they make their podcast or their, um, their, their vlog or whatever, and they put it directly onto YouTube and seek their audience there. Those people are actually more concerned about the interference with the algorithm. And their position is their algorithmic preference of their users will be disturbed. And that's likely to let, if I can call it 
the algorithmic flow of users, it will be diverted. Customers will be uh, uh, given a, uh, a moment to break away from their, you know, a thousand mile stare at YouTube, which normally captures them for many hours. And when something unpleasant or unknown comes up, their position is that users will click away. And I believe also YouTube um, metrics and YouTube itself believes that will happen as well. So there is a resistance on the part of user-generated content creators to having um, government mandated, uh, as they're calling it, content or suggested content um, inserted into automatic plays of content on, on their stream or suggestions uh, in various points of, of these platforms. And they're kind of an, an irreconcilable conflict with the goal of the government side, which seems to be increased promotion and visibility of Canadian content on the assumption that if people just see it, they might like it. And um, we wanted to wade in. Well, we didn't want to wade into this argument because it is um, pretty much a meat grinder. Everyone who goes in comes out looking bad. But given that at the end of all this fighting, whether it's one system or the other, consumers are either likely to have to pay for the result in regulatory restrictions, or they will have a different looking experience than they have. And that will be at least need to be explained to them, if not avoided. Uh, we thought we'd have to wade in after all. So I wanted to say in my remarks that we didn't want to uh, take up this issue because we really didn't want to get in the middle of this, but we found ourselves put in there, but I didn't have time in my remarks because you only get five minutes in front of the Heritage Committee. So I just jumped right in and said, we noticed that the new bill is requiring this, what they call promotion and recommendation of programming. And that goes into the new, a new part of section three to make sure that the promotion of Canadian content is undertaken on all these new platforms, but it goes quite a bit farther and it says it's going to be in both official languages and indigenous languages and Platforms must ensure that any means of control of the programming generates results allowing for its discovery. And what that means is, I think, inserting automatic plays of Canadian content into your stream on YouTube if you're not interacting, you know how most people leave autoplay on, or in places where there's um, recommendations that those come up in various places and parts of the screen, but those will be um, at least partly Canadian content, and that might interrupt the flow for some people. That new section 3.1 R of the Act is where we focused our proposal. So uh, after much discussion at PIAC, we thought there could be a distinction made between the first and second half of that new requirement. The first half is just requiring promotion and recommendation of Canadian programming. And we thought, well, that could be as simple as a static banner strip on Netflix that says Canadian movies check these out or Canadian TV shows, check these out. But once you're into your Netflix flow, what you're watching and your next automatic choice comes up, uh, it wouldn't be uh, the Canadian content. Also, for example, on YouTube, there would be uh, on the splash screen, you know, there's various subject matter banners as well. One of them could very well be Canadian content, could be French music, could be English music, indigenous artists, whatever, uh, on that static page. But once you got into checking out your subscriptions and your, or your just general flow, that those, those, uh, automatic plays on YouTube would not flip into these Canadian content items. 
And instead, in the static, what we called it, static boxes, Canadian content could be promoted there. So we said maybe there's such a thing as static and dynamic discoverability, and that's really what we're talking about. So with the process of inserting Canadian content, whether it's in a banner or whether it's an autoplay, is what the bill refers to as discoverability, to try to give people a chance to find something new, and in this case, Canadian content, because it's culturally important. And it's important because we make broadcasting products here in Canada, and you could say it's for employment, or you could say it's for our economy or whatever. Lots of reasons. So all that to say, we put forth this, what we thought was somewhat radical idea to, in effect, break this 3-1-R part. So the first part about promoting and recommending Canadian content programming is required. But the second part, by using any means of control that generate results, is taken out. That's the dynamic part. That's the part where you'd get an autoplay or in your suggested things to click on. That's where they would pop up. And the idea being that if you have used static, what I'm calling static discoverability, it's easy for YouTube or Netflix or whatever to receive a list of people who want their Canadian content promoted and the people who want their Canadian content promoted could go to the CRTC and say, does my content look like Canadian content? And the CRTC can use the present scales they have, which are quite complicated, to classify something as Canadian content or not, or develop a new one, whatever, and then would pass, let's say, 100 new Canadian content creators, uh, approved Canadian content onto YouTube and to Netflix, and they could roll those through their static you know, banner ads for millions of users every day. Uh, and maybe some people would say, oh, well, I actually do want to check out this Indigenous uh, production or, hey, I haven't listened to any French music in a while. I really like it. So I'm going to go check that out. So it would result in promotion of the Canadian content and recommendation, but it wouldn't require algorithmic, I guess I'll use the word algorithmic changes or interference. Because the... Uh, the digital first creators are concerned that if there is an algorithmic requirement, uh, it does two things. First of all, there's a lot more insertion because the algorithms are mostly what's changing on the page. People aren't normally clicking on the banner ads and that goes on for everybody's stream. For the most part, people set to autoplay and there will be a requirement then or a expectation that all content that's uploaded to YouTube will have to be classified as whether it is or isn't Canadian content because then the algorithm will pick up anything that's Canadian content and insert it all over the place. I'm not sure that necessarily follows, but that was their argument. And then their argument says, if a bunch of uh, random Canadian content is identified by YouTube in some manner and then inserted into my stream or whatever, and it does not fit the preferences of those who watch my channel, then when a seemingly irrelevant video comes up, uh, the patience and the spell of their users will be broken and they will likely click away and their whole audience could collapse. And even if their audience is mostly outside Canada, the argument goes a step further and says, well, people in Canada are not engaging with the content. The algorithm will then spread that worldwide and say, hey, you know this stuff that previously was quite liked 
uh, there's a, a portion of the world where suddenly it is disliked. So we will downgrade it to the rest of the world. That may or may not have as big effect as they're saying, but that's the argument. So our fix is trying to avoid having this question come up. It's trying to avoid having digital first creators necessarily describe, have to describe their content as Canadian or not on some scale they don't understand and which they might well not uh, on its present uh, criteria actually satisfy, which is a strange thing. And some user-generated content people have pointed out, it's strange that I live in Canada and I produced this video and I'm Canadian and I uploaded it myself in Canada and yet it may not satisfy present Canadian content requirements, which actually have a different scale, largely based on things like scripted uh, content, such as, you know, screenwriter and director and these sorts of things that aren't really applicable to self-produced YouTube videos. So we wanted to bring that idea of this static versus dynamic discoverability and would the promotion and discovery of Canadian content actually be satisfied by having the platforms at least be required to, to display, if you will, like a display ad, those Canadian content generators who wanted their stuff to be put in front of everybody. And I would think that's going to likely attract the legacy broadcasters, Bell, Rogers, Quebec or Chorus, these sorts of people that make Canadian content already. It will give a place for independent producers like Blue Ant and so on to to get into the Canadian content rotation on the static banners, if you will, but it won't require um, YouTube creators to enter into this at all. And that's where I was going to leave it. And that's where we got to in our presentation. And we were hoping to take up questions from the committee and we didn't get there. In part two, I'm hoping to speak to a creator again, who will have um, his or her comment on this uh, scheme. They seem to be somewhat interested and not hostile, which means I think it's a compromise position that might work. I have heard from someone who is close to the creator community that static discoverability, as I'm describing it, is no discoverability at all, given that most of the consumer experience on YouTube and Netflix is algorithmically driven. Now, I think that's a, an interesting question, whether it really is, and whether having banner ads is really not valuable at all, uh, or whether the fact that companies would have to put some banner space towards Canadian content without being paid, you know, uh, they're not buying the ad space. This bill requires it, by the way. Whether that's really no discovery at all, uh, I don't know. I think it probably is, um, but it may not be adequate to what they are hoping for out of the bill. In any case, the idea was to have this new idea discussed so that it could get people out of their silos where they're at the moment talking past each other, I think. So in part two, we will discuss that with somebody on one side, and we're hopeful that this podcast and our own um, submission, which I've placed on PX website, will generate some uh, discussion in the Senate. And the Senate will either get a very rushed bill from the House of Commons with a note saying, please don't debate this, just pass it, in which case all of this discussion um, may have to wait for CRTC hearings, or it might be irrelevant because the bill will clearly say that algorithmic um, discovery is absolutely necessary. But we wanted to get this idea out there and people thinking about it because I think it helps. There are limits to it. And, and as I said, if we had gotten into some questions, I, I would have addressed 
the one criticism, which is maybe static discoverability is no discoverability at all on the internet, but maybe it is. And another criticism would be if a YouTube-based company, in other words, somebody who's doing videos, but a lot of them has a whole creative company behind them, and but uses YouTube or TikTok to upload their content and generates a large audience there. Is there a threshold at which those creators shouldn't be allowed to avoid this whole regime because they've gotten to be so financially large. In other words, they look a lot like a large broadcaster. And I would be willing in that case to discuss financial thresholds. Uh, we noted in looking at this, uh, our lawyers in our, in our shop that CRTC had set a limit of $50 million for audiovisual producers and $25 million for music producers as a threshold for what kind of industry information they wanted to gather from both foreign and domestic. Um, I'll call them broadcasters, but uh, online undertakings, I think is what the bill calls them just recently. So that is a good perhaps cutoff. And I would think most YouTube creators of audiovisual content don't have a company that nets them $50 million a year, but maybe there's a few. So maybe they would have to be brought into this bill and not be able to avoid the regime forever just because they're using YouTube as their distribution platform rather than, say, um, Bell Media or, or Rogers. So that was the great idea. And uh, I have taken about half an hour of your life to describe this to you. We think it's important enough to discuss. And unfortunately, our, I wasn't able to reach our guest today to discuss this all in one piece. But in a way, I think it's better because I've laid out our thesis, and then perhaps we can have a discussion of our thesis with somebody whose livelihood maybe depends on the answer to this uh, bill uh, going forward. So that's that issue, and I wanted to close that off here and promise you another episode soon. But I did want to uh, note something. As you know, sometimes on the show we have a segment where it is called I Told You So, and we have a big one this time around. So in between the last show and this one, the competition commissioner has decided to oppose the Rogers and Shaw merger in its entirety before the competition tribunal. And as I have said, PIAC did make um, submissions to the competition bureau on the merger and opposed it for various reasons relating to what consumers will likely face in the internet, phone, and TV markets, and cell phone markets after the deal. Uh, and we hadn't heard anything for months and months and months. And then suddenly the, the competition commissioner came out and opposed it formally before the competition tribunal. So I told you so because that's the position we had. And um, I think the point being that you can't ignore consumers' points of view because they do matter. And it's encouraging to see the regulator recognize that there are problems with a deal this large unless some very significant thought goes into how it will impact everyday consumers and in particular in this case wireless consumers and what's at issue is wireless service through freedom mobile and shaw mobile in the west and freedom mobile largely in ontario that's the shaw it's the branding for the shaw uh, mobile service which they originally bought from uh, wind mobile so the idea being that we're trying to keep a fourth player in the market and there are other problems with the deal because of the synergies that make uh, Rogers and Shaw an actually very large player and, and it might disrupt other areas of the, of the law. 
um, also between the time we had our last podcast in a similar vein, uh, PIAC did file a, an objection to the CRTC's approval of the deal uh, in the form of a petition to cabinet to uh, reverse the CRTC decision approving the broadcasting uh, assets um, uh, transfer between Rogers and Shaw on the basis that it would likely lead to higher television prices. Uh, you can read that on our website uh, and it has been filed with the the cabinet and also a copy given to uh to the parties and to um to the crtc we're awaiting that decision it's uh 90 days from the decision of the um, crtc that we will hear so we'll be coming up soon and uh, we'll know one way or the other whether all of this pushback if you will i think based on consumer concerns is going to have any substantial effect. If it doesn't and the deal goes through, I, I have some concerns about whether the Competition Act is written in a strong enough fashion to, to protect consumers. And if it, it does have an effect in one or the other forums, then I, I can only uh, thank our listeners and those consumers who did speak up and who have expressed concerns about the deal for saying what they think. And uh, we'll let judges and tribunal members decide and the cabinet what's the right thing here. But we have made that point of view known to the regulator and we will see what happens. So that's our, I told you so this week and that's the show for today. So thank you. We will be back. I hope within a week with part two of what's going on with C11 and I'll have to think of a snappy title for this episode, but uh, whatever this episode is called part two will be out uh, probably before the 15th of June. So thank you very much for listening and we will catch up with you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of We Fight For That. The Public Interest Advocacy Centre needs your help to keep making this show and to keep fighting for you. I'm John Lawford. See you next time for another round of consumer protection. 